everybody. This is a very good episode of the show. If you are interested in analysis, we have Spencer on the show and we talk about a number of big topics. I'd say the three big topics are punchy penguins and, you know, really just reviewing what we talked with Luca about yesterday and providing a little bit of reflection and analysis. Then we talk about gutter cat gang being allegedly acquired by a gentleman named Noah that hopefully will be on the show very soon. Uh, So that's an interesting conversation to have with Spencer. And then last but not least, that Blur has announced the date for Blur season three. So finally, season two is coming to a close. Spencer gives some absolutely fantastic analysis on everything. Don't tell him I said that because it'll give him a big ego. But anyway, really hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Yeah, catch you next time. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is Tuesday, October 10th. Today, we are going to discuss the Blur Season 2 airdrop coming in November and what it could mean for the NFT market. We're going to talk about the Gutter Labs acquisition. Big news on a Monday. And last but not least, we'll discuss Fidelity's recent bullish report on Bitcoin as the best digital asset. We are joined by Spencer today. Spencer, what's going on, amigo? You know, life is good. The the sun is shining, and I'm having a good day so far. What's going on with you guys? Oh, it's going well, buddy. We had a fun show yesterday uh, talking about Pudgy Penguins. I saw Bunny. You had Luca on your show last night. Is that right, Bunny? Yeah. And he wasn't late. <laughs> he didn't go to another show first. <laughs> he just came straight to mind. It was, it was incredible. <laughs> well, how'd it go with him? It went well. It was nice to have him right after the gutter cat uh, accusation, right? Accusation, yeah. Scenario, this is like Budgie Penguins 2.0. There, there you go. Well, I'm glad that I picked Gutter Cat Gang for our little contest. I didn't buy any of them, but you know, I picked them for our little contest. So we'll see if I, uh, if I win. And I think we might have the gentleman that bought Gutter Cat Gang on the show tomorrow. So that'll be fun uh, to discuss. I mean, look, if we're gonna lead. Uh, Oh yeah, go ahead. Come Real on, quick, I will say, uh, Nick, I res- I saw at least ten tweets yesterday of of people talking about your performance yesterday. They said it was one of the best. We I even saw people that are like, dude, I'm not a huge fan of 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 Nick, <laughs> but I gotta respect that content mastermind masterclass that went down yesterday. Like truly phenomenal Web three content. Like shout out to Nick, <laughs> and like it, it crushed. I did see some of that. You know, it feels good once in a while to have a hit. I mean, honestly, we just started focusing on Twitter, and I feel like the the wheels are turning here. Uh, we're revving up with activity on that front. But that yesterday's was like that was an improv thing. Like I, I think that's that's really what went on. There were two things: both emotional frustration. With the fact that Luca was like, yeah, I'll come on your show. We have it like queued up for him to come on and he's on another stage. And he got baited by by a title where he literally he like kind of acknowledged that that he was baited yet again with some pudgy FUD title. And I'm like, anyways, the, so I yeah, hopping in there was complete improv. Um and it worked out. I'm glad that we were able to merge spaces uh, with the uh, other team there. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was an entertaining thing. I think the uh, the other thing was as a result of that, we were able to get information from Luca that I don't think he normally would have presented in the format that it was presented there. Um, so like 
because ideally you want to control the message and he's a master of that. Um, he's also great at sales, but he gave us a lot of juicy details about the structure of their warm, uh, sorry, I said Walmart deal. Um, and, and from that standpoint, there was a ton of insight. I mean, the, the general overview of it was that like really a lot of the way that this went down, uh, is in a way where they're basically, I mean, it seems like they may make, I was being generous with my estimates of the amount of money that they're making off of this. Um, it feels like basically this is one giant marketing campaign for pudgy penguins. And it's been a phenomenal marketing campaign for Pudgy Penguins, uh, a revenue-generating marketing campaign. So I, I think- That's the best that, kind. Yeah, so like when you can make any money off of uh, that sort of structure. That said, uh, you know, their partnership, I think it's PMI. I don't, I don't remember the name of the partner that they have that sets up all those- uh, CAA? No, PMI. Um, CAA is- Really certain it's PMI. PMI and Retail Monster are their two- partners in retail pmi so, manufactures the toy and retail monster distributes it so i think from that standpoint their ability like when you think about like all the effort that goes in to set up the pudgy penguins like end unit like uh the cardboard foldable structure what the presentation looks like and that sort of thing um the PM, uh sorry you said retail monster i guess in this case was the one that probably uh was likely to structure that I don't know what sort of cut they get out of this, if it comes out of net, um, if it comes out of gross. Uh, but fundamentally, you know, we I saw this team at uh, the licensing expo and they were set up there, but you had to set up a meeting in advance with them. You couldn't just like walk up and get a meeting. Um, and they have a ton of uh, businesses that they're partnered with. Honestly, I kind of like the retail monster business side of things. Because they their risk exposure is incredibly low, uh, where the, like your brand success, it does matter because they need to get a cut, so they are aligned in that sort of way. But they have less of the downside risk associated with it, in in the sense that they're able to aggregate, and you don't kn know what's going to work. Their last comment on this: if you saw the pictures of where Pudgy was positioned uh, at, at at some of those end caps. It was next to some random toy that I've never heard of before. And I think the same th same thing, other people are looking at Pudgy being like, I've never heard of this thing. What the hell is this? And shelf space is essentially marketing. And uh, and so right now the Pudgy brand could, could have easily reached hundreds of thousands of additional consumers. And that's why it's really more of a marketing thing at this point, but, which is why maybe Luca was willing to be as transparent as he was with the information that he provided yesterday. Yeah, it was juicy. Um, it, someone said it felt organic. I was like, yeah, it felt organic because we, we didn't expect uh, things to go down like that. I didn't know we were going to do a joint show with the boys over at Coffee with Captain. That was a lot of fun. Um, and I didn't know Nick was going to uh, have a live video commentary during their interview with Luca on our show. That was a lot of fun. That that was a key part of that whole thing. I genuinely was like almost prepared to go in and torpedo the whole thing. Like was, <laughs> I could tell. That, I could that tell was you my were emotional state going into that. But as I was sitting there, I just remembered. So Luca is 24 years old. Luca is basically a child as it applies to like, well, life. And I, I, I think that uh, he 
his inexperience only showed as it applied to him getting baited with these spaces pretty yeah. much. And, uh, and so I don't know, I've sort of like, I felt empathy for, for a moment after like going, like getting ready to like <laughs> torpedo this space. I was just like, you know what? Like, and also dude is out here, like actually building something. So that's like, whether or not, like you can run the math. I saw there were so many comments yesterday about the um, royalty math, mm. and and I got DMs from people that were like, "Yo, bro, this math doesn't make sense." And I'm like, "Yeah, if if you think about the structure of it right now, yeah, you're right." And I, I think most people, most NFT collectors, want to say, "I'm gonna go buy this thing. You now go do all the hard work and make me fabulously wealthy." Like that's basically the approach to a lot of uh, NFT collectors, and nobody else is, has made any sort of effort. Like, I I have a or I had a, a fifty what would be now a fifty thousand dollar asset board apes, uh, or I don't even know if they're fifty k now, forty k, whatever. They keep diminishing in values that deservedly, but uh, Bunny's out here still just in a state of uh, shock and despair, but uh, and grief and regret. But um, in terms of Nick, there's a there's a great river in Egypt that uh, that Bunny Bunny is a part of. It's called uh, Denial. Denial. <laughs> <laughs> very um, nice, very nice. You guys just wait for the second bull run. Okay. <laughs> you have an eight. So here's the bigger thing, dude. What is you giving the bored apes to help them go license their thing? They were the one that kind of came out with. You own all the IP that like set off a whole trigger of things. And I think a lot of people are like, wait, hold on. So you're telling me I can draw some cartoons, tell people that they own the IP and go make millions of dollars. So that's basically the bull run of 2021 was a bunch of people creating that art and saying, hey, here's the thing. You guys now go build a business with your IP, which basically 99.9% uh, .9 of people had no chance of doing. There's some people that have done it, but like even still, I think like pretty much all the all the apes are struggling on that front. Like, what's the, the most the, successful ape business? I mean, I see ones like uh, the ape water one. I see the burger the one. Gordon Hungry. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's definitely the ice cream brand by Snoop Dogg, which, by the way, is actually also in Walmart, but you hear nothing about it. Very interesting. Really? Didn't know that. Didn't know it was in. Actually, I, I, Dr. Bombay ice cream, I think is what it's called. Something yes, like that. Yes, that's what it's called. It, it has a, his cheetah branding around the lid. Um, I remember because when I was going to go sweep the floor of some puppies in Walmart, um, I was walking around Walmart because, you know, as a New Yorker, getting to go to Walmart is a real it's, treat. It's special. It's real special. It's special. It's, it's something different. They um, sell Haritos at Walmart. That's crazy. But stocked in the frozen aisle is Dr. Bombay ice cream. He's got a whole bunch of stuff that's uh, Dr. Bombay. But this is also interesting because, like, the only call to his Dr. Bombay ape is the lid as Cheeto yeah. print. There's no ape anywhere on it. Yeah, because yeah, he knows like, better no. not to scare everybody away. He's actually trying to sell well, some ice cream. There's a Dr. Bombay Skechers that has the ape on it. Okay. Well, at Skechers, it he figures he can get away with it. Nick? That thing is smart, but still the the point still stands. Luca's the only one doing it, and he and what they're launching, what he didn't give details about yesterday is the IP platform that they're launching, which I think this obviously this situation with them having um, the 
like an interface for the Q4 uh, Pudgy product or Q1. I'm, I'm assuming it's got at this point, it's got to be at least no earlier than Q1 2024. But uh, the next product that they roll out with the IP combined, I think this platform will be a demonstration utilizing that as a as a use case or a case study. Um, but then ideally, it becomes a marketplace where other people can license their pudgies. And and from the standpoint of Luca, if they're able to sell something out at Walmart, if they're able to succeed in retail, there are a lot of doors that open as a result of that and a lot of other deals that can happen. And ultimately, it ends up being better for the entire ecosystem. I still don't know like what is... I don't have uh, macro metrics from the toy industry, basically, like aggregate stats in terms of... Uh, I, I do know like Hasbro and some of these, like this is a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. Um, from, uh, but I don't know, like in terms of like plushies versus like um, uh, blind box toys. There was I was in Soho the other day, um, and there's a uh, there's a pop up store that I don't know the name of it. It it's you're talking about Miniso. Yes, Miniso exactly. And yeah. I I went in there just to check out the blind boxes that were like propped up there and honestly just observing where people were in the store at first they weren't mostly with the blind boxes everyone loves it from the collective but like looking at it they're cool widgets to like hold in your hand and observe but i don't know like i have no context for the well, blind boxes are huge especially in asia and miniso is like an asian store right um, I think they're starting to be bigger in the U.S., but it, like when I was in Japan a couple weeks ago, like there are just stores of 10, 10 floors that are just blind boxes. Well, there's also um, what was interesting. I didn't post this on uh, Twitter, but maybe I'll go ahead and post this. Um, one of those was the picture that you just showed um, of one of those characters, but seated directly above them was what I can only describe as literally a pudgy penguin looking character. Uh, and, yep. and, and there were mul multiple of these characters that pretty much look just like a, a, a pudgy basically. Um, and from that standpoint, I'm like, how defensible is that like character? Essentially the character IP associated with that. They had licensed those characters. Uh, it was Sanrio, which is, uh, I believe the creators of hello kitty. Um, and so, the the person selling this particular item, one of the items that was there on the box, it says licensed by, uh, from Sanrio, and so and I think that's kind of how they're approaching it now. But yeah, look at this. The, here's an example penguin. So what's the difference between this and a pudgy penguin? Is why and this is the challenge that Luke is going to face associated with this whole thing. Is why does someone buy this particular one versus a pudgy penguin? And that's something that's, I mean, there's so much work that needs to be done. I'm rooting for Luca, honestly, as it yeah. applies to this, because it's just, but it's so freaking difficult for that. Like that, they have an uphill battle with this. And uh, in NFTs, like he said on the show yesterday, are not really an advantage to the negotiation. It doesn't give him any sort of leverage at this moment in time. And he basically acknowledged that on the call to say, what leverage do I have? Like I, what, what I can go get a community of people to potentially buy in like a dream state, 250,000 of these out of 800,000. So I still need, you know, 67% of these to, to be sold through. Uh, 
does but does he have the uh, the market cornered on penguin plushies? And the short answer is no. Yeah, but, but very well put. Go ahead, it, Spencer. Right? Like like these penguin figures and, and various stuff may seem random to you, but usually they're not, right? Like this is the thing you have to understand is is there's a lot of these IPs that exist as stickers, exist as gifts, exist as other things, and then be like like there's a reason. Like, why does Miniso still license them from Sanrio versus just using their own generic penguin, right? Uh, there's a reason there. Why does, you know, uh, Miniso is an interesting store too. Like, they license Disney. They license, um, you know, Pokemon. They license all sorts of different stuff. Like, most of the things in that store is licensed um, IP. And why do that? Why not just have generic IP? There is some generic IP there, right? But like, Remove the NFT stuff for a moment, and the 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 GIF and impression stuff of Pudgies is actually generally impressive. Oh yeah, um, in the sense of like it is a recognizable IP outside of Web three more so than you'd think, because and and that is what Sanrio does. It builds IP. You know that's what like Line Friends is. That's what all these other things are, right? Um, I think it opens the door. I think it gets you in, in a conversation in this case. Well, honestly, the the uh, the door with Walmart was open through another partner, essentially, uh, who ended up creating that relationship there. But fundamentally, yeah, your success is going to like create momentum. Momentum is a very important thing to open doors and uh, close deals. And so you need to have that momentum. I, I, I but even still, um, you still need like some reason why buy a, buy a pudgy over the penguin right next to it. And from that standpoint, you do need a position on it. And I don't think that like, I, I, it, it's going to be difficult. I am not yet convinced that even 30 billion impressions on Giphy sells that tour, that toy when you're sitting in front of it in the store. I'm not saying that's not an impressive stat. That stat is insane. Yeah. It dominates everybody else in this space. It dominates people not in this space. Yep. They're, the Pudgy team is phenomenal at social media. They're phenomenal at marketing and sales. But uh, when it comes to purchase intent, that's the thing that like when you go buy, uh, uh, what's the uh, Sesame Street? Tickle Me Elmo. You, a Tickle Me Elmo blows up because A, everyone knows who Elmo is, but has a emotional attachment to that particular character and gifts are just frankly easier to build than a narrative around that story where like if they release a cartoon that's like popular on netflix now talk about sales deals happening where you suddenly went from uh millions of sales to potentially hundreds tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of sales uh and cool. beyond is a result of having that sort of connection with the with the consumer so that's the thing that i'm sort of uh, I, I think they have the potential of getting there. Like, don't get me wrong. And if any anybody is going to pull it off, they're making all the right steps right now, and it's an incredible journey to observe. Um, and and I sincerely hope that they do succeed with that. Um, and root and am rooting for them to uh, accomplish that because it's it'll be incredible. And then maybe that's his way of Pudgy and Luca's way of you know reaching the masses. And getting mainstream adoption for NFTs, which is literally what's on the box. Like, scan it, get the NFT. So, I, like, I want them to succeed. Um, it is just really an interesting, uh, like, 
it, it's a fascinating thing to observe. No doubt, Spencer. Uh, anything, anything to add on that? Yeah, I mean, I think like you know, it, it's interesting, right? You talk about okay, they do the Netflix show, they do this, that, the other, right? Like one of the things with Pudgies, and you can think of this as a benefit or a detriment, right? Is um, they're within the scope of NFTs. You know, you look at top NFTs, right? I think it's pretty easy to say Pudgy right now is number two to Yuga. The floor price reflects that. I don't think that's like a controversial statement, right? But what they're not number two to Yuga in is funding. Uh, they're pretty underfunded relative to other top projects. And, you know, you got to think like, given that they are where they are, does this set them up for a venture raise, right? They did a venture raise last year. Yep. They were at a five ish ETH floor when they did a venture raise. They're at a five ish ish ETH floor right now. Uh, ETH is a little bit higher than the last time they did their venture raise, but could they do a bigger one, right? Like, is there 20 to $50 million in the coffers of venture funds that want to back NFT projects? If there is, I think Pudgies is a big candidate to get that funding, but it's not obvious to me that that exists today, right? Like, you know, it's not obvious to me that, think about it too, right? Like the value of being number two to Yuga, even three months ago, was probably a 10 to 15th floor, I think, on a project, right? We saw that with Azuki. We saw that with uh, Memeland. We saw that with D-Gods. Today, the value of being number two to Yuga is, as it turns out, a 5-eth floor. It's and pretty crazy. Say the NFT market overall. You know? Uh, so... The the last thing on that is, I mean, he he took that picture at SoftBank. They like writing big checks and inflating the hell out of valuations. I'd be curious, you know, if that ends up being a deal, or um, you get an A16Z deal, whatever the situation is. Yeah, I agree with you. They definitely could raise funding. I don't know what the floor price is as a result of that funding. I think they're way better positioned to go close that deal. Versus, like, if you look at D Gods right now, that, that, like, in terms of like milestones met and accomplished, I just think Pudgies is way more compelling from a, from a business position standpoint. So I think you're definitely right about that. I think they will close a deal. It's inevitable at this point that they end up closing some deal associated with that. Um, unless Luca, like, well, Luca's in a position where he's made money in the past. And seems well positioned that like he doesn't need you know imminent cash or something like that, so he can swing for the fences with this. So I, I w and, and you're completely right. Have a bunch of money associated with that, you can close some uh, massive deals as well. It's it's another point of leverage, another point of uh, influence and and network connections. Um, so yeah, I think you're spot on with that. Uh, give it up for Luca. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's see pudgy put, send pudgy to the moon I, I think they're doing they're doing a great job and frankly it's better execution than yuga at this point which has a, is just operating on 16 fronts they're they're and even with their consolidation that they stated uh they're still operating on they went from 16 fronts to 14 fronts and so and and that that's like the, really the announcement that came out the other week and it's like Damn, you're still operating on 14 fronts. Like that's that's a lot.
Uh, well, there's a couple of things. First of all, there was I, actually, I'm not even going to mention it. Uh, it's just funny how people like the second you said, uh, give it up for Luca. I basically saw an alleviation. People were like, I'm not going to mention exactly what it was, but I directly saw someone basically be like, okay, all right, cool. You said that, then we're all good. Uh, it's just funny that, you know, like the, the NFT space is hilarious. It's basically like, are you not saying something positive about an asset I own? Even like, like, even if it's neutral, is it not 1000% positive? Then you said, give it up for Luca. And it's like, okay, yeah, we're, we're good. We're good. Um, there's, so, there's no room for nuance, basically. Like there's literally zero room for nuance. I own the asset. You need to act like this is the best shit of all time, period. And I have nothing else that's going to make me money in my life because I'm a loser. <laughs> so that's like the other part of that statement that you missed out. No, 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 no. Most people. But, but I do have a question for Spencer. Spencer, so your bias is that you run an NFT fund. I see you focus on floor price quite a bit. Uh, I'd imagine that's uh, one of the most important metrics in your professional life because when you're running a fund, you want to buy something and have the price increase and you know have the opportunity to take profits, this, that, and the other thing. Um, I wonder, do you, so when you think about floor price in relation to fundraising, is it an, like, is it actually an ultra, ultra, ultra significant thing or would ro robust sales from Walmart, you know, be more significant than a floor price increase? I mean, look, it, it's gotta be both, right? Like, I think if you have too low, a floor, like, like, like to raise something like 20 to $50 million, you got to raise at a, like, you know, a significant valuation. I'll put it that way, right? And so to justify that, you're probably going to have to do both. And I think this is actually a challenge for Luca. I think the Walmart revenue, people will think is like a fundraising benefit, but it may actually be uh, a detriment, right? As soon as you have, it's kind of a meme in the venture capital space. Like it's, it's usually better to not have revenue than have revenue because as soon as you have revenue, people start doing math on your revenue. If you don't have revenue, then you could have revenue. And so, like, ooh, like, well, that's right? the joke on Silicon Valley, right? Uh, what's his name? Yeah. Um, uh, what's the guy's name? The billionaire Tres Comas, that character. Yeah, he's like delete the revenue slide. Ross Hanneman. At first, he's just like, no, no, no. He's like, you never want to have profit, you know. And then he ends up not. Be anyway, God, God, sponsor. Sorry. Yeah, he deletes the whole code base. Yeah, but that that show is like scarily accurate. But I would say like, like, um. I think they're in a good spot. I think, you know, if they do what, like 10 mil, 6 mil in revenue, somewhere in that range this year, like if they get like a, you know, the challenge is probably they need to raise, if they, they want to raise like 40 or 50, they probably need to raise like 250 mil Val, right? Something like that. And so to get there, like you need like a two to three, you, you need like, you know, call it like on 10 mil, 25x revenue is like pretty high. If they can get to demonstrating that next year they maybe do twenty mil, then it's like fifteen x revenue. That's pretty. It's pretty reasonable, right? That, that 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 that's easier to get in crypto. I think you have to couple that with likely. So like, Pudgy Penguin's market cap is like eighty, ninety million or something like that right now. They probably get like three three x multiple on their market cap. So the the, the sweet spot for them to do two fifty mil would be a market cap of like, uh, call it like, like. Like a hundred mil market cap, I think, is probably where where pudgies need to be, which is pretty close to where they're at right now. And then probably like, you know, they got to be at like fifteen to twenty mil in revenue to do it. So it's 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 very achievable given where they're at today. Um, and maybe they go higher than that. But I think those are the two numbers that that I would look at for them with regards to a venture raise. 
Appreciate the perspective. Uh, Nick, anything to add there? You made a little face. No, I'm just reading the comments. Oh, dude, uh, I was about to let me like, this is the best comment I've seen in a long time. We got a gentleman on YouTube named this is what spaces smells like is the gentleman's name. And his comment said, P.O. laughs at all of Nick's quote jokes. Reminds me of Ed McMahon on John on the Johnny Carson show. Nothing he says is funny, but P.O. laughs anyways. That's what it's just not funny. Well, just the fact that he's mentioning Ed it's McMahon and like, dude, if you want to make make me smile, mention Ed. Like, compare me to Ed McMahon and Nick to Johnny Carson. Let's go. That's that's awesome. That was hilarious. Thank you for that comment. Uh, bring more comments like that. Like, compare me to David Letterman and Paul Schaefer. Let's go. Anyway, signal. Let's let's get, dive into this weather report, and then we'll keep it cooking. Uh, Clemente crushing it with the titles on on Twitter. Let's rock and roll. Yeah, it's also mandatory to have a friend in the group that just laughs. Like their laugh is funnier than the joke that's been said. That's kind of Pio's role. And everybody has that friend in the group. So Pio, great job killing it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> on to the weather report. Uh, it is, it is, it is today, Tuesday, October the 10th. Market volume 11.5 million. Blur 5.3 million. Clemente says, wow, up 40% from yesterday. OpenSea coming in at 4.1 million with more than 25% of that volume coming from a single crypto sale. Onto the market leaders, DGOs are up 3% and rebounding after the comeback dip, while Azuki, Apes, and Pudgies are down around 3%. Other movers include Guttercat Gang, that's up 50%. Moonbirds up 6%, and Sproto Gremlins just continuing to fall. They're down another 13%. Over the past 24 hours, well, Blur's highly anticipated Season 2 airdrop was announced to be coming on November 20th, eight months after the start of the season. As a result, volume on the platform is up about 25% in the last 24 hours. The Blur token is pretty much hasn't done anything all day, although many fear it's going to dump after the farmers receive the airdrop to recover all their losses. Onto the Hail Mary Pass of October and Gutter, Gutter Cat Labs, that's Gutter Labs, sorry, the company behind Gutter Cat Gang, the one that PO chose for Octo October win, has been acquired by a community member called Noah, although this is yet to be confirmed by the team. More details are expected to come out about the acquisition today, but this comes less than two weeks after Noah made his offer intentions public, and he also promised to put 500,000 of his own capital into the business. As a result of this news, Gutter Cat Gang is up over 6% in the last 24 hours, although it had been steadily rising amidst the rumors. Over into finance and in its September digital asset report, Fidelity shared a deep dive report on Bitcoin and called it the most secure, decentralized, sound digital money also comparing the asset to fiat, currency, and gold. And then lastly, onto gaming. Other side shared a recap video of their playtest tour in Berlin, featuring a new Metropolis Island that many have said actually looks quite uh, similar to Roblox as they prepare for the next leg of their tour, Ape Fest in Hong Kong. That is all for the weather report today. Back to you, folks. Fantastic weather report, as usual, Signal. That Bitcoin story is not news for anybody that knows Bitcoin. It was just inevitable. Real quick, we have the Daily Digest updates, the newsletter available at the nifty.com, also posted to X every morning and pinned up top. Rafiq Anadol's wins of Yawanawa have began, begun their reveal. This is a very cool art project, in my opinion. Very, very cool. Uh, starting with 100 yesterday and an additional set of at least 100 of the 1,000 piece collection every day this week. Very cool stuff. Rafiq Anadol just doing doing the damn thing. Uh, Cryptotes, number 4030. <laughs> Nick, did you see this? dude 
Yeah. Sold for 1.67 million bucks. If I'm not correct, is wait, this is not the boss code. Yeah, I saw DC Investor. It was a bad finger. Yeah, the guy meant to offer 1.055. It offered 1.055 on like 10 others and forgot to put the decimal point. Instead, used a comma. You got and, uh, yeah. You got Imagine one and a half. Off that finger. Yeah, exactly. And and you got a one and a half million bucks chilling in a wallet that you're deploying in NFTs. Just kind of wild to me. That's <laughs> dude. It, is, it it is so wild. And the thing that got me, all I kept thinking about was, thank God I went to a school where we use decimal places and we don't use commas to separate our figures. Because you, you just see all the sales, 1.1, 1. 1, like on the OpenSea activity, 1.0, 1.0, and then that comma, one. One comma zero six. Oh, it just hurts. Well, just the, hurts. The thing too that, that you got to think about too is I don't think all the toads he made offers on were in the same wallet. So imagine you're sitting there, don't have your notifications on or whatever, and somebody else. Like there are people out there who had bids for a million bucks on their toad and didn't didn't take it in time. Right? No, so that was a, that was an offer on one toad. That one person was the one who got that offer. The guy was making offers on individual toads. And like one and, and a half? That, yeah. So there were specific toads he was making an offer okay. on. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a full collection offer. So only that toad got the $1 million offer. And the guy wow. noticed within 13 minutes. So the bigger thing here is that that offer was out for 10 plus minutes. So the guy could have theoretically canceled it. Well, uh, I'm glad I'm not that guy making that fat finger mistake. Uh, next story. Solana Collection, famous Fox Federation, has announced an additional mint of 2,223 summoned foxes, completing their Genesis Collection to a 10,000-piece supply. The collection remains at a 38 Solana floor. Uh, Twitter. X now allows users to limit replies only to verified Twitter blue users. This seems to be the quest by Elon Musk to make everybody pay for the platform. A lot of people have a lot of issues with that. We're going to have the space's genius himself, NFT God, on the show in a couple of weeks. And we're going to figure out what he thinks of all things Twitter spaces. Last story, Unity's CEO, John, uh, well, he's got an Italian last name. That's pretty good. I'm not even going to do it. Uh, has stepped down weeks. Richie Cello. Hey, I like that that role right there. on Richie Cello. <laughs> I like that role right there, big dog. Um, this is weeks after company faced backlash on its new runtime fee, uh, which could charge game developers a fee every single time someone downloaded their game once it reached a certain threshold. That sounds like something game developers would probably like is fees, fees, fees. Um, yeah. So, look, the first story we're going to really dive into here is the gutter. Oh, sorry, Nick. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, yeah, the gutter thing. There's some context. So there was another offer right before this that almost closed. Interesting. The inside scoop on this. And you know how much they were offering? Any guesses? $3 million. Zero. They were about to offload the thing for uh, nearly zero was essentially what was about, was uh, about to go down. Do a big Chicago offered them $3 million. <laughs> That's <laughs> just, more than zero. Okay, here's the real question around this is um, who assumes legal risk? I think is is actually really important. Like, if I'm gutter cat gang and someone's assuming all the legal risk for the actions I took, I may have offloaded it for zero. If someone offered me three million dollars, but I retain legal risk for any actions I took, I, I, it's not obvious to me that that the zero that the three million is better than the zero dollar deal there, right? 
And I think this is one of those things where it's actually really important, the details of this acquisition, that we may or may not ever learn this detail specifically. But make no mistake, in the acquisitions meta, this is the single most important thing to deal with. Because think about it this way, right? Who's the only CEO in all of, of NFTs who hasn't sold an NFT? Holla at your boy, Nifty Nick. I'm just kidding. Uh, Dan, Dan Allegre, Yuga. Dan Allegre, who's another one? Hasn't sold an NFT. I mean, Pac-Man. Luca. Luca. Oh, so sure. He acquired it. Yeah. So it's... He acquired yeah, it, right? Dan Allegre and, so, and Luca if, would be the two. So if, if, if we... If we look at prior legal actions in crypto, selling crypto is much more dodgy than having secondary market transactions on crypto, right? This is a really important but subtle distinction. And so if you can M&A a project without assuming the legal risk for the initial sale, pretty good. That is pretty good. Uh, Clemente also pointed out Oniforce. Uh, Spencer, that's another one, right? Yeah, so the only is probably the wrong. But you got three right there, <laughs> the primary ones. And that's the thing is like they've either hired out or since had people step down, which is interesting to me. And then to Nick's point too, there was a $3 million offer on Gutter Cats last year from the individual Do It Big Chicago. And it looks like they took an offer for $0 with a 500K cash infusion into the treasury to help bring back the launch of gutter cats so noah who's the individual Malawa dream was the one that made this acquisition the rumor came out last night and honestly dude i was looking at the rumor last night and was like shit do i sweep dog gutter dogs Wait, here he got it for zero yeah a 500k cash infusion into it he got it for zero but i was debating sweeping dogs here for 0.08 last night but there was no volume even gutter cats had like four sales when the news broke and pushed them up like 0.2 maybe the tough part is there's Gutter cats are an 11.55, so they can't trade on blur. So you don't see as much of the farming hyper volume cycles. And then ultimately, what happened was I woke up and saw dogs at 0.15, missed a clean 2x, watching it. And because I just because I didn't see any volume last night, like realistically, I should have acted. It would have been, uh, I'm so mad at myself about it. <laughs> why do you think, Spencer, why would you speculate that the $0 deals were being prioritized? Was it just uh, over strategy? Was it over legal? Uh, I, think uh, it's le I think it's an assumption of legal risk. It has to be. Why else did they do it, right? Like, like we know Gutter Cat token has had issues, right? Like, and this, is, this has been the issue with this acquisition. So, like, Gutter Cat Gang is pretty well known, right? Has been on the market for sale for, like, over a year. And you got to think, why has it not sold? And I think it's because, you know, the gutter token. The gutter well, token. they dumped a ton of money into Horizon Labs. It's where the speculation of much of their treasury went was Horizon Labs for the gutter token. It was like where everyone's speculating that's where all the funds went. And of course, the founder sitting courtside at basically 40% of all Heat home games. But that's besides the point. Oh, man. Well, I mean, look, this is a very juicy thing. We're hopefully going to have Noah on the show in the near future, maybe even tomorrow, trying to get him on video. I don't know if he's docs, but we will uh, definitely get into the mix on it. Nick, what do you make of this? Do you think that this, that Luca has now laid out a sort of um, template for an individual like Noah to be able to take a brand like Gutter Cat Gang and, and you know, really take it to the next level? Like, you know, 500K capital injection. Is that enough to really move the needle? And, and what does move the needle even look like? Uh, man, this is a tough one. I think the biggest thing that Gutter Cat Gang has going for it is there was there 
was a community. I don't know how that community, it's gone on so long that this acquisition potential possibility is that like, it just hasn't, um, like a lot of people have, have sort of like left as a, as a result of it. That said, many of them are still holding their NFTs, so nothing makes a group happier than a pump my bag situation in the NFT land, uh, NFT space. And so I just think uh, it'll be. I'm interested to see what happens here. Luca does not have a foolproof playbook by any means. Yeah. Uh, and 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 you also have to keep bear in mind that luck matters. He even mentioned that on the show yesterday, which also makes me wonder. Not, Anything I say that that goes against it is going to be interpreted as throwing shade. <laughs> here's, here's, here's my biggest thing. So uh, Luca yesterday was like, and we had that on our roadmap, which was some generic thing. I don't what, I don't remember the name of that milestone that was on there. A big, bright new world. A brave, brave, brave new, world. new world. Brave new world. Brave new world. And this is what we've always had. But he he also said at the same time. This, I mean, on the video, the YouTube video they did, as well as on this space, he was like, essentially, that that deal almost didn't go through. Like, we had no leverage. He was like, yeah, he, for a moment, he was trying to be like, we, you know, we perfectly timed this for, you know, the Q4 season for uh, holiday shopping and stuff like that. And he's like, actually, no, no, we didn't. Like, he was like, that literally, like, I had no leverage and Walmart had rejected us and now just come back out of nowhere. I was like, sure, we'll do the deal. So I think that there's a lot of variables in play, which is why you can't just follow someone's playbook like that. Half a million dollars, the only way that that works is if you have pre-existing pre infrastructure. And that is what Luca and team had. Whether or not that was used for uh, building different business. online courses, landing pages, e-commerce stuff, and whether or not you agree with the approach that they were used. The bottom line was they were good at executing. And rolling stuff out the door, and I think that that's where they're properly positioned. So that's why I hope that uh, this gentleman comes on the show uh, to discuss, you know, his acquisition of it. But the biggest question here is, what's the background of this person? What's the team that they have pre-existing in, in in place? And Luca had a pre-existing like office and things that, like, I feel like that made them properly positioned to be able to, you know be up and running instantaneously. They didn't need to build something from scratch. So that that's the biggest thing. What are you going to say, Spencer? I mean, I think, so like twofold, right? One is like, I think you ask, why are people buying projects this day? And I think it's actually one of the more interesting answers to this question is it, it is harder than you think to launch a project now. And so there are people who want to enter the NFT space and say, we can't mint out a collection. And one of the benefits of legacy collections is there is more distributed supply that already exists in the market. And likely there's a lot of people who bought it. You know, we look at even, even collections that have traded a lot in this market, even like Azuki, still like less than 50% of tokens have traded this year, right? And you got to think in the NFT space, given how many people have attrition, how few active wallets there are, there are a lot of wallets that have bought NFTs that just aren't paying attention to them anymore. And that might be beneficial for these collections, right? Like if you buy a collection that already exists, you don't have to deal with, it, it, it is in many ways likely better than attempting to mint a collection that can't sustain a floor price above like 0.2 ever, right? And then it has this legacy of either struggling to mint out or minting out and then immediately dumping. And that's like very hard to get over. So I've heard a lot of like 
more sophisticated people that actually have bigger war chests coming in, looking at what they can acquire in the space because they think it's so difficult in today's meta to actually launch a new project, right? That's pretty That's interesting. Been, and, and you know, the, the big question here, right, is like 500K is not enough to build a project, right? So then you have to think, how do you get more money, right? Do you do something revenue generating or do you immediately go out and shop a venture raise? Is there venture money that exists for immediately shopping a venture raise, right? Like, how do you at some point capitalize the business with other, I mean, 500k is salaries for three people for a year. Like if, maybe two if years, that. right? Yeah. Very interesting stuff. Uh, I really want to ask this guy, Noah, just what the vision is. Because you can go in so many different directions with this stuff, right? There's the video game direction. Pudgy's doing toys. There's so many different directions you can go in. So I hope he comes on. Going to be really, really interesting to figure it out. Look, we got to talk about Blur Season 2's airdrop coming. So it, it looks like in a short tweet, Blur has tweeted that their season two airdrop is going to be happening November 20th. So an official date, which is crazy. No extra details were shared. In the last 24 hours, Blur's trading volume is up roughly 25%. So people went to the Blur platform and started to continue to farm ahead of the November 20th date. Um, Spencer, you participated in the first Blur airdrop successfully. It seems like everybody that uh, really took the first airdrop seriously, Machi Big Brother, other uh, you know big farmers, were handsomely rewarded. Um, have you been participating in season two? And uh, what do you think of this? I mean, I think I've been, look, you know, I have on the order of magnitude of like tens of thousands of Blur points in season two. So nothing crazy, not like the million blur points that, you know, Hanway has or, or, or Machi. But like, you know, the way I've been approaching this is it's a nice to have. Blur points certainly have some value, right? It's my, my estimate is it at a minimum, I think it's probably a dollar a point. Wow. Um, maybe it's more, maybe it's less. Uh, it's likely not less than that, but you never know, right? Um, that's at least my, my, my math on the expected value. Um, you know, I think the, the real questions here are along the buy and sell pressure from the airdrop. And, and, and so I've been treating this as a nice to have. If I'm trading anyway, I'll trade in such a way that I do get as many blur, blur points as possible. But I'm not running strategies to get blur points that involve trades I would not otherwise make. And I think that that's really how you should have been thinking about this. Um, it's almost like time we're certain. Yeah, it's like using a credit card instead of cash. Like I was going to buy that milk anyway. Why not get the points yeah. from MasterCard, right? Exactly. No, that 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 is a great description. I'm going to get, and you know what? I, maybe I have three credit cards. And I'm going to use the one that gives me my most cash back at the restaurants versus when I'm online shopping. Like it, it's something like that, right? It's not, no one's going out of there. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go buy, you know, I'm going to go buy a car on my Amex because I want the points, right? Like no one does that, right? That's just not what it is. But, um, you know, if you can get them, you may as well, right? And so, I think the big question here is the amount of buy pressure sitting on the sidelines. This is where it gets really interesting, right? Is in my view, blur, like dollar sign blur, is an incredibly high vol asset in the next, like around this airdrop, right? And I see two scenarios. The scenario that seems obvious, right, is okay, at current prices, it's still like, $80 million of, or actually probably more like $50 million of blur that's getting airdropped, right? That's a lot of money. <laughs> you got to assume like, like, 
an airdrop like this is actually pretty similar to a venture raise. Like we're saying, right, like could Pudgy raise 50 mil uh, in a in a venture raise? Probably, right? Could Blur today raise 50 mil on the open market in an airdrop? Like maybe, right? It's it's not obvious one way or the other. The other question is, do they need to do the full 50 mil, right? So that's assuming that there's 50 mil in sell pressure, meaning everyone just gets their coins and immediately dumps. I think it's pretty likely that someone like Machi, someone like Hanway are going to dump pretty aggressively, but they may not, right? Like this is this is a big question, right? If, if, if Hanway, for example, decides not to dump immediately, like it could ride out. There's also a lot of smaller people. They may wait to sell, et cetera. Um, you know, a lot of people are looking at Blur token from externally. Uh, you know, I know a lot of big funds looking at it because it, think about it this way, right? If you have hundreds of millions to billions of dollars as a capital allocator in the crypto space, right? And you say, hey, I'm looking at NFTs and I think it's pretty easy if you've been in crypto before to get to a point in your brain where you're like, okay, if NFTs come back, this is a 10x return. This is a venture style return into the next market, which is not true of a lot of stuff in crypto. Right? A lot of stuff in crypto always already has multi-billion dollar market caps and what? It's going to go like 100 billion? Like that's challenging to see. But like the idea that something like Blur, which, you know, today sits at like a 150 mil market cap, could go to a billion dollar market cap in the next cycle is actually like a pretty reasonable, I think, bet to make, right? And so you're looking, okay, maybe Blur has venture style returns, uh, NFTs of venture style returns coming back potentially. Now, I've gotten to this thesis that I think NFTs will come back, they're down 95%, they'll come back 95% in volume, et cetera, et cetera. How do I get exposure to that thesis? It's a really, really, really tough question, right? Is it right to go write a venture check in a pudgy penguin? Maybe. Maybe that's the right thing, right? Is it right to go do any number of other things? One of the most obvious answers to that question is owning a bunch of blur, right? Is it right to go try and buy secondaries on the on the secondary market for OpenSea? Because OpenSea certainly isn't raising another round, right? Like, how do you get exposure to the idea that, that NFTs come back? Blur is likely the most obvious, like dollar sign blur is like likely the most obvious thing in all of that. Over ApeCoin. Well, I think like if you look at the price of ApeCoin today, it's still quite high, right? Well, I was going to say, Spencer, I think the best strategy here is the 3-3 three, three strategy. 3-3 so, uh, <laughs> three, three so front Machi, tech, baby. Machi and some of the other people should 3-3 uh, should three, three this and uh, look at each other and be like, I'm not going to sell. You're not going to sell. I'll hold if you hold. I'll buy more if you buy more. And we'll get a third guy involved who will buy the same amount we've got airdropped. If it can't possibly go wrong. Dude, the fact that people did 3-3 three, three on front tech, I'm like, are you guys Dude, insane? They still are. Dude. Still, still going on. Well, so like, my favorite thing too is like, you know, I think there's some people who don't understand that it's a joke, right? Like, it's it's a kind of a highbrow game theory joke, but you like, it's not that hard to figure out that this is not equilibrium, right? Like, the joke is that it's a non-equilibrium outcome, right? And so you have to get that people are really like, hey, it's three three, but people are like, wow, like three three optimal. It's a riot. Spencer, Signal. Spencer, I want you to ask, on, on the token then, so I think the Blur token's at 16 cents now. So if, what would be your estimate for how low you think this could dump once uh, the farmers come out to regain their losses that they've made? I mean, look, like, it, I don't know, right? Like, I, to me, this this is like, this could go to like eight cents maybe, 
you know, I see this, I see it's tough to, to, so like, you know, I, I don't want to say more numbers, right? Like, I think this is, this is like, the only thing I'm certain of is that this is not 16 cents later, right? This, there is a world in which this goes, if the obvious play happens where this dumps really hard, there's also a world where this like sends, right? Like, it's not actually that hard to see this going to like 500 mil market cap again. You know, even looking at where like, uh, you know, something like looks rare was a couple months ago when it had no volume was 150 mil. Like it's not that high a market cap for a coin, right? And so, um, you know, it's felt really unbuyable for quite a while. Blur has, and it suddenly becomes buyable again after this airdrop. I also think you know, people were really upset about how long this airdrop took, but like to their credit, um, you know. One of the things I had been concerned about for quite a while was will NFTs sell off really hard into this airdrop? Because suddenly all the farmers are like, okay, we have all this inventory. We need to dump ahead of the airdrop like we have to. And because it's been dragged out for so long, those farmers kind of stopped farming anyway a little while ago. And it's been a more gradual process. There hasn't been an acute moment where... Like, like the lack of volatility in NFTs following the Blur airdrop announcement is shocking. Um, and I think actually positively shocking, like, you know, everyone who said, oh, incentivized bidding is bad for the market, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, right? Whether you agree with that or not, like, we'll just have to see, right? Under that thesis, maybe NFTs do much better post blur airdrop. I, I don't know if I, I buy into that thesis fully, but we're like about to exist in a post blur airdrop world. Um, and it'll be interesting, right? It'll certainly change how things are. Will it change liquidity depth? Probably. You know, will we see new blue blur features come out? Also probably, right? It's it's so hard to figure out which way it's gonna go. And I love your your adjective of unbuyable for the token, because that's how I felt. I was like, I just can't buy this thing. Like, even though I believe in Pac-Man, I just have no idea if this price makes any sense right now. Nick. Two things. One. How niche of an audience is it? That's honestly, farming a Blur token, I feel like it's pretty niche. You always I, you I'm, always bring this up when we talk about Blur. You're like nobody in the world knows what Blur is, and you're right. I, I'm genuinely curious about that. And then B, uh, what activity is going to exist after this airdrop? Like, what? Why? What's the incentive? It, another airdrop with more tokens? No, I mean, look. Like, the the thing is that like. The way the blur airdrop is structured, they they it's not like this is meant to continue in the way it is for quite a while, right? Like like this is a huge, huge, huge chunk of, of tokens, and they don't have another huge chunk of tokens to do like season three with in the same way, right? And so you know, you say who who knows about blur? Like a lot more people than you think, right? If you talk to anyone in the coin market. So like one of the things that I've been trying to do a lot more of is talk to non-NFT crypto people, right? And Non-NFT crypto people are aware of Blur. Blur is one of the largest things to have happened in crypto in the bear market, period, right? And if you look, if you're in the coin market, you probably noticed that like a multi-billion dollar market capped coin appeared out of nowhere last January. It's no longer a multi-billion dollar market capped coin, but when people in non-NFT land think about NFTs, in non-NFT crypto land, think about NFTs, anything about Blur. Uh, well, institutional investors do. Uh, I'm not sure that like the average Joe is thinking about blur at all. 
I, I'm not even convinced that most users, I, you know, for me, OpenSea's volume is actually the real metric in my, in my opinion of a true NFT action. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of DGENs that are active on Blur that are happy to go buy there. But I would imagine that the average, you know, NFT market participant is making less than, you know, five moves in a month, if not like more like one. Um, so that says trade. Do you see the number of wallets that are actually trading on there, though? But I think that's actually it. Well, that actually that chart demonstrates exactly my thoughts on the situation. If you actually go back up, Clemente, the one with the trade market share, OpenSea over the past week actually has 55% of all of the trade unit volume, basically, whereas Blur has the majority of the trades dollar volume which is why I think that we have a really skewed perspective on kind of how this, uh, uh, this entire uh, market is operating at this moment in time. And I really do think that OpenSea volume is, is still remains most indicative of how the overall market is performing. Blur is this weird uh, phenomenon where like, yeah, they've built, they've, they innovated on the product, they made it easier for traders to trade. Uh, but the reality is this market has gotten increasingly small during the, the bear market. Is there a better way of saying it? increasingly small? Smaller and smaller. Smaller. <laughs> <laughs> smaller. Uh, it's just not as, as, as verbose. Anyways, less thick, though. <laughs> less thick. So the market's gotten less thick over time, is, uh, it, which is business lingo. Uh, but yeah. I don't know. I, the, I, I'm just someone who like the blur situation is one that took the market by storm. And the way that it did was it created a bunch of instant liquidity in this market. And the, the iconic trade is OSF and Mando dumping their apes at that moment in which people are like, wow, like uh, this is such a, this is phenomenal that, there's this much liquidity in the market, but it's fake liquidity. It's just not real trades and it's no indicator of actual true adoption. And instead, I feel that that portion of the market is getting further and further away from where really the action is in this over the long haul, um, which is I don't know that the financialization of NFTs is inherently the biggest portion of it. I could be completely wrong though. I think some of it's very interesting when NFTs come to like actual physical products, tokenized products, which you can get loans against and things like that. Maybe the real estate title industry or the car title industry. I think those are two particular industries that are like really relevant for this sort of thing. And, and it is inevitable. Stuff, it's not. Yeah, it's inevitable for those industries, but those aren't going to, that, that's a real world asset. You're just digitizing, you're having a better technology-based solution to, to streamline the, uh, you know, uh, trading of those assets. Like if you've ever done like a mortgage refi or done any sort of mortgage thing, you know that there is going to be a digital version of that. and It'll be through blockchain. It's just going to take so long, but that's different than trading a collectible. I don't even know if we can call these things collectibles. They're really, they're traded like shit coins with pictures. They're like the market wants to make them shit coins with pictures. I want them to be collectibles. I want them to be pieces of fine art, but the market's like, eh, it's a shit coin with a picture. You know, like that's the thing. Anyway, Spencer, you're going to say something. This is the interesting thing, right? Is like 
we in NFT land think about impact on our bags today, right? But one of the narratives I, I hear a lot about uh, behind the scenes is like um, the impact of real world assets. I think there's a, a pretty big consensus that real world assets represented by NFTs, RWAs is what people call them, are a big part of the next cycle's narrative for NFTs. And in that case, the thing that matters today is actually the infrastructure, right? This is why like, is Blur token the best exposure to NFTs? Uh, maybe because like a world where actually the best use case for NFTs isn't animal JPEGs. It is um, trading your Rolex. It's trading Charizard PSA slabs, right? Then like suddenly actually like this infrastructure that's being built to trade animal pictures is actually useful for that, right? Like all the lending protocols suddenly are lending for Rolexes now. All the trading protocols like Blur are suddenly like Blend is now like a Rolex lending protocol. Blur is now a trading of Rolex protocol, right? Like it, it's actually easy to port the, the benefit of building this infrastructure today around animal JPEGs is that it's easy to port it over to RWAs. Fantastic. We're seeing that too. We're seeing that with arcade.xyz, which has done like an incredible job with like lending protocols. Yeah, you just see the Supreme shirts as real world collectibles that have taken out loan collateral. They're tokenizing real world assets through a third party broker so that they're not actually stored directly through arcade. We're seeing a bunch of that stuff, and I, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg for it. Spencer, I'm on the exact same page. I think real-world assets become the primary driver of this with the lack of storage required for it. I love. Uh, we're going to wrap it a sec. I love that comment from Spencer, and I totally agree. I also think that NFT degenerate behavior is actually going to infiltrate. If, if that happens the way that we're talking about, it might influence the price on a Charizard card and stuff like that because the NFT degens are just like, gotta, you know, gotta pump this thing or gotta make the price go up. And all of a sudden, the traditional collectibles market could be like, what, what is happening? These NFT guys are pumping our prices. I'm saying that's not impossible. I don't know when that'll happen, but, you know, uh, it's on the table. And already seeing like easy just pointed out and you know courtyard and all these different uh brands that are actually bringing this to the nft space last thing uh, i'm a blur boy in the sense that i was saying that i liked uh blur and i liked pac-man from the beginning i, I described him as like our our version of mark zuckerberg he's like 23 24 he went to like he's an mit dropout y combinator graduate like the whole thing you know i wanted to work and i wanted to buy the token but it was so hard for me to tell if it was a good price to buy the damn token. And I mean, I, I'm relieved that you described it as unbuyable too, because it makes me feel better about the way I was looking at it. I was like, I just can't buy this thing, even though I want to, because I just have no clue whether the price is going to go up or down from here. Um, I think Blur being successful is good for the ecosystem. I totally understand why there are people that think that it's not good for the ecosystem because it motivates people to buy something and then even sell it for a loss a moment later to farm a transaction. I, I hate that. I, I don't like that at all. Um, but look, it's going to take some time for us to figure out what works and what doesn't. Spencer, we're going to wrap in a sec. Do you have any closing thoughts you wanted to share? No, I think we talked on a lot of things. You know, I think one thing I'd highly recommend is if you want to uh, burn your eyeballs, make sure that you switch blur into light mode. From default dark mode, it is, uh, you know, I, I've just done this recently because I feel, you know, with the airdrop coming up, we're in a whole new world and I wanted that to be represented. Um, and I really wanted to use more electricity. So make sure that you switch blur uh, from dark mode to light mode. It's quite the experience. If you've never done it. Uh, it's truly jarring. Well, there you go. Someone also said people trade collectibles just like people trade NFTs. What I'll say is 
Not exactly, amigo. Not exactly. I don't think that many people buy a Charizard card on eBay for 150 or however much it costs, 2,000 bucks, and then list it at 1950 one moment later. It's not really uh, the move, I don't think. I have a friend that does a lot of uh, physical card trading. I don't think that's usually a strategy. I'm going to buy this and, and take a $50 loss on it immediately. Uh, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. Uh, big thank you to Spencer. Make sure you follow Spencer. That's at SG Sand One. Looks like you're still. Oh, no, you have at Spencer, do you not? I do. I do. I have at Spencer. That's that's the secret alpha. <laughs> it's not a secret. You've talked about it on the show before. But anyway, we got to get that at Spencer to be your your main account because that's very, very cool. I want at Pio, but some Italian bastard is sitting on it. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll be back. I don't know. I like saying that. We'll be back uh, tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern time. We do the show Monday through Friday. Also available on YouTube if you want the video stream. Also available on Apple and Spotify podcasts if you want to share it with people outside of of the Twitter bubble. Very easy user interface. Very easy to listen to the show on those platforms. I have a lot of people actually finding the show on those platforms, which is very nice. Anyway, uh, we'll be back tomorrow, hopefully, with the gentleman that bought Gutter Cat Gang. I don't want to jinx it, uh, but I think that might be the case. We're going to find out. Anyway, thank you for listening. We do this every day, like I mentioned, and we will be back tomorrow. Catch you later. <laughs>